Good afternoon. It's good to see each one of you here. Today I'd just like to start with one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It comes from Psalm 37, the first nine verses. So you can follow along with me if you'd like. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So in a world where the wicked seem to prosper... God tells us not to worry. Instead, he gives us this list of tangible things that we can do to help keep our focus on him and his purpose for us. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. We can find our hope in knowing that he is sovereign over all these things. And as he says in verse 6, He will bring his righteousness as the light and his judgment as the noonday. Oh, good afternoon. I am am so excited to be able to be here and and share, open up God's word with you. Uh, It's it's been a great week and it's been a very challenging week because uh, the content today is is encouraging, but it's also very, very convicting. Uh, let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to look at the verses 1 through 3 this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. I'm going to be reading from the ESV this morning. That's a Real, I like this translation a whole lot, so I hope it doesn't upset you too much. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we are so encouraged, so grateful to gather together as the body of Christ to worship you, the God of the universe, the Lord of our hearts. Lord, we acknowledge, confess your great power, your great love, your majesty, your worthiness to receive our praise and our worship. Lord, I ask that you would meet us here this morning in our hearts, that we would come before your very throne and into your presence. Lord, like we see in Isaiah, when he came before you, Lord, and his response when coming before a holy God was to cry out, I am a, a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. Lord, we cry out to you this morning with our hearts that is full of humility, full of praise and glory for who you are, how powerful you are. We ask, God, that you would meet us in this place, that you would, by your word, you would wash us, that you would transform us, remake us, Lord, that you would encourage and convict us. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, yeah, let's start off here. This is, uh, this is called The Love Letter of Lament. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I have felt since breaking off our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. <laughs> First Corinthians 13. These verses are, are some of the most beautiful and well-known verses in the Bible. And we have seen them everywhere. We've heard them at weddings. Every time I... I have heard these verses. I always think of the princess bride, you know, marriage, love and marriage. It's a verses that are oftentimes given but not really understood. We see them on verses on coffee mugs, posters, calendars, songs, plaques. It's everywhere, these verses. But it's, I think, so misunderstood and not practiced in America, in our churches. Very few chapters in the Bible uh, are as familiar as these. I first wrote this sermon I'm doing this morning five years ago, and I remember feeling uh, convicted. I was touched. I was convicted. You know, how often I had fallen short, and how often I have blown it in in, uh, loving people and loving my family. And uh, yeah, this last couple of weeks uh, preparing and studying for this has reminded me uh, just where I am again. <laughs> uh, I'm so grateful for God's word and it has been so encouraging but so convicting as well. And I, I'm just grateful to be able to stand up here and uh, go through this with you all. So before we unpack uh, these three wonderful verses, let's first look at the context of, of Corinthians in chapter 13. It is written on the heels, obviously, of chapters 1 and 
1 through 12. The church of Corinth was the epitome of dysfunction. The Corinthian church was steeped in sin, gross immorality in the church, lawsuits among believers, broken marriages, disorderly conduct, confusion, dissensions, rebellion against God's order for men and women, and heresies about the afterlife. And yet, the Corinthian church was not lacking in any spiritual gift. Paul talks about some of these gifts of the Holy Spirit. There was an unhealthy preoccupation on the gift of tongues. They all wanted that spiritual gift. And Paul goes on in verse 12 uh, to explain, uh, and then this is in chapter 12, I think, uh, chapter 12, not verse 12, goes on to explain that all parts of the body are different. And we don't always all have the same function. He then goes on to verse 31 and says, I will show you still a more excellent way. So the Corinthians got locked into all these uh, flashy, uh, miraculous gifts to be able to speak an actual language he'd never spoken before. Amazing. And they got preoccupied on that. And Paul says, there is a more excellent way. I want you to also remember too, as we look at this, that chapters and verses... So we're going from chapter 12 now right into chapter 13. They are not part of the original Bible. Chapters and verses did not even come into existence until the Geneva Bible in the 1500s. So this chapter 13 is right on the context of that dysfunction, right in the context of this preoccupation with with spiritual gifts. So Paul's going to show us a more excellent way. Um, And for these three verses, verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul is going to use extreme hyperbole to illustrate the points. Extreme hyperbole. This week, my kids, uh, uh, we're we're having fun in the the kitchen, and and I said something. Hannah said, I was, uh, you're exaggerating, Dad. And I said, no, no, I'm using hyperbole. To issue to make my point, <laughs> she goes, "No, Dad, that's not hyperbole. That's that's exaggeration." <laughs> well, Paul here really is using hyperbole here to make some really important points. So let's look at verse one here. Verse one: If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong. Or a clanging symbol. I thought about this morning just bringing up something I can, you know, gong and clang and everything. Um, I don't think that's appropriate. I think you guys can get the picture there. Paul's uh, referring in these verses to uh, a, a tongue of, of men and angels as an actual, actual language. Or tongues is like, you know, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and, and who knows what other languages they had, the ancient Egyptian maybe even. Uh, These were the languages that were in existence in that day. And so Paul here is actually referring to very real, tangible languages to be able to communicate the gospel and God's truth. But he also mentions angels, and here's that hyperbole of of extremes. Uh, Many commentators see this as 
uh, eloquence. Since we don't have a, a good indication in the Bible that angels have their own specific language. And so many believe that Paul here is saying that this is an actual, this is language, uh, eloquence, to be able to speak beautifully. Um, and, and so uh, when I think of eloquence, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Gettysburg Address. It is, to me, one of the most beautiful uh, you know, uh, speeches ever written. It's eloquent, it's short, it's powerful. Uh, maybe some of you would think of George Washington, his first and second inauguration. Maybe it's Shakespeare. Um, uh, some, I read, have you guys ever read Charles Spurgeon's sermons? Very, very powerful, very eloquent. He is called the Prince of Preachers because his sermons were so incredibly beautiful, so eloquent. Um, but Paul goes on to, to state the extreme here that you, even if you could speak all the languages that, that can possibly be spoken, and even if you could speak with the eloquence of an angel, an angelic eloquence, which we have never seen in this world except from, from Christ, of course, right? And that was even beyond that. Even if we could speak that way, but we do not have love. We are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I mean, just imagine just someone coming up here with a gong and just start banging it around here. How long would it take you to be over that and say, okay, stop, please stop? I mean, we're talking just seconds, right? Maybe even shorter. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's powerful when you think about that because that's how Paul is saying, well, if we do not have love, that's exactly what we are. We are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Yeah. Um, if we don't have love. I think we should uh, ask ourselves a question right now, like that 90s song, What is Love? I won't sing that song because probably some of you might know what that song is, but it's a, a song. It says, the question was, what is love in the song? And today we're going to kind of look at, look at this. What is Paul talking about here? What kind of love is this? In the Greek language, there are eight different types of love. Eight different types of love. Um, the first one we're going to look at this morning is eros. Eros love, you probably are familiar with eros love. It is the basis of all the descriptions of love. It has to do with that sensual love, the pleasure part. It is where we get the word erotic. It is a love that only takes and it never gives. Or it gives only if my desires are met first. Then it says, I will love you. So erotic love is... A very base, it's all concerned about me and how can you love me. And then there's the, another love, and this love is called a phileo love. And phileo love, you're probably also familiar with phileo. It's a, where we get the word Philadelphia. The Philadelphia meaning the city of brotherly love. It means, literally, it means brotherly love. It is where we get the word Philadelphia. It is a love that gives and takes... It is deeper than eros, 
but it is still conditional. It's the love that says, if you stop loving me, or you hate me, or you do me harm, then I will stop loving you. So that's phileo love. It's a conditional love. If you're good to me and you love me, I'll love you back. But if you cut me off and you don't, then guess what? I cut you off. That's phileo love. Then there's another love. You probably aren't familiar with this one. Maybe you are. So love is called storge, storge love. This is the most powerful form of natural love in the world. This is a familial love. It is the love that the world, uh, is the greatest love the world can, can know. But storge love, even the greatest love the world can know by itself, on its own, is still conditional. Because storge love says, I love you, but I will love you more if. You see that? Storge says, I love you, but I will love you more if you do this or say this or so still you could see is still conditional. These are not the words, none of these descriptions of love is what Paul is referring to here. He is not mentioning any of these. It's kind of funny in the English language, you know, we have such a, uh, a limited language. You know, in the Greek is just incredible, huge, gigantic language. And then English is kind of that small funnel and you get little, you know, drips that come through. Um, when we're at our house, one of the biggest jokes around is someone will say, oh, I love pizza. Or in my case, I say it, oh, I love this. Oh, I love, you know, whatever. And my wife invariably will always say to me, do you love it more than me? Right, hon? Do you love it more than me? We don't have very many ways to communicate the word love, do we? We just say the word love. So it's, it's important that we really dig in deep and see what this uh, word is really about. Um, there's a treasure here. Okay, Paul refers here to the word agape. It is the rarest form of love in the Greek language. It's hardly ever used in the Greek language. But it is one of the most common loves mentioned in the Bible. There's a reason for that. Agape love is not a natural form of love. It is a supernatural form of love. Dr. John MacArthur describes love this way. He says, a love that is above all sacrificial, it is a sacrifice of self for the sake of others. Even others who may care nothing at all for us and may even hate us. It is not a feeling, but a determined act of will which always results in determined acts of self-giving. Agape is the willing, joyful desire to put the welfare of others above our own. It leaves no place for pride, vanity, arrogance, self-seeking, or self-glory. 
the most beautiful display in all of Scripture I see is found in John 3.16. Where God says, For God so loved the world that he gave, so God agape the world that he gave. That is agape love. He gave himself. Romans 5.8 says agape this way. He says, but God shows his agape for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Agape given when there was absolutely nothing that we did to deserve it. In fact, it says we were enemies of God. God still gave us agape love. Agape love is not natural. It is supernatural. It's not something we can just conjure up on our own. We have been given this love, and we are commanded to love this way. First Thessalonians 4.9 says, We are taught by God to agape. First Corinthians 14.1 says, We are told to pursue agape. Colossians 3.14 says we are told to put on agape. Philippians 2.2 says we are told to be unified in agape. 1 Peter 4.8 tells us to be fervent in agape. Hebrews 10.24 says we are to hold, to stimulate one another to agape. So we're looking at four attributes from these verses. First, agape love is commanded to us. Agape love is commanded. Agape is possessed by Christians. Number two, agape is possessed by Christians. Number three, agape should be the norm of Christian living. Number four, agape must be practiced. Agape gives. It sacrifices. Why is it in our world and country um, that the church goes around most of the time banging gongs? We're just banging gongs. We're just noisy symbols in this country in this world. We are like that monkey, you know, that king, king, king. I had a roommate in college. He was from um, oh, Pacific Island. It's escaping me right now. Guam. He was from Guam. And uh, he couldn't wake up for anything, the regular buzzing sounds and everything. So he actually had one of those monkeys that was an alarm clock. And it would uh, clang, and it would go, ooh, ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, and it would just clang and bounce, and, and you know, we were all like ready to throw a shoe at the thing because there's there five people in the dorm rooms. <laughs> the five of us, we, we had fun. We played a lot of practical jokes on him with that clanging monkey, but it was very annoying, but it worked. It served a purpose. He would wake up and he would make it on time to his classrooms because of that noisy monkey. And yet I, I think that's, Kind of where we are as a church, we're that noisy monkey that's um, 
in the church in America. That's that noisy monkey that, 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 that just annoys the world instead of that loving demonstration of sacrifice and giving. It really is, it really is sad. The greatest evangelistic tool the church has today is also the most neglected. I, I think of evangelism. I think of Ray Comfort. I think of uh, Billy Graham. I think of uh, some great men who God has given great uh, love for people and they're effective in their ministry and their evangelism. But that's not the greatest blessing. That's not the greatest evangelism tool for the church today. It's not someone uh, standing up before thousands and preaching. The greatest gift, the greatest evangelistic tool um, is found. Turn in your Bibles. Hold your place there in Corinthians, but turn in your Bibles to John 13, 35. Let's look at John 13, 35. The greatest, the greatest loss. We are really lacking in the church. We're missing the greatest evangelism tool John 13, 35 says this. Jesus is talking. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have agape, love for one another. You see that? By this, all people will know you are my disciples. What an incredible evangelistic opportunity we are missing, lacking as a church by not agape loving each other like we should. I'm speaking for myself. I'm speaking from my heart. I know it's easier for me, easier for me to love my family my immediate family, my wife and my kids. You know, I'm not perfect in that, but I can, I can experience giving gape a love frequently with them. It's easier. But I start getting beyond that inner circle, and I, that's where I start uh, delving into those phileo and storge love that's conditional, that's not giving and sacrificing. It's what you do for me, then, then I'll do for you. It's so hard. It's one of the hardest things is to love people. And if we don't, Paul says we're just a clinging symbol. Even though we can be eloquent and have talents, incredible talent, we can be just a clanging gong or a clanging symbol, a noisy gong. Verse 2. Let's look at verse 2 now. Verse 2 says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Paul says, um, you know, you can uh, have this incredible prophetic power. That's to, to speak God's truth, right? You can have just all. It's used the word all there, right? And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, okay? Prophetic powers is just to speak God's truth and, and, and you could be just the greatest uh, speaker and speaking God's truth and you can know the mysteries of God. 
And the mysteries of God are the, are the things that only God can discern. The only things that, that are the, the hidden things that we just can't understand this side of heaven and maybe not even totally in heaven, right? These are the mysteries Paul's referring to in this hyperbole. These are the things that only God can discern. So he says, even if you are able to discern with the discernment of God, but you have not love. All knowledge. You can even have all knowledge, it says. That means you're, you have everything there's, that God knows you know. All knowledge. All faith. Faith. He says, even if you have said to this mountain, move. That was a popular saying, by the way, uh, at the time when Jesus referred to it. And here Paul's referring to it. That was a popular saying back in the ancient world. Even if you have all faith to say to this mountain, move. It was an expression of making the impossible possible. Making the impossible possible. But if I have not agape, if I have not love, Paul says it, I am nothing. He doesn't say, he takes ownership for this. And I think that's, that's what we all should do too. He says, I am nothing. Because this is what can happen for Christians. We can be, have incredible talents. We can have incredible knowledge. We can have the right doctrine. We can have the right theology. We can be all squared away with our Christology. We can have our pneumatology, our ecclesiology, our eschatology, our theology, everyology in the book. We could be perfect and in line and be able to communicate it perfectly, have the truth. (sighs) But if we don't have love, Paul says, I'm still pretty good, right? Is that what he says there in verse two? If I don't have love, but I have all that, there's a lot of people worse than me. My neighbor, person who sits next to me, they don't see things exactly my way. That makes me a little bit better. That's not what Paul's saying, is it? He's saying, even if everything is lined up, I have the right view on everything, but I have not love. (laughs) I am nothing. Nothing. Jonah is a a perfect example. Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. We know about his story. But most people don't realize why Jonah ran in the first place. It wasn't just because, you know, uh, the Assyrians, Nineveh, the Ninevites were such an awful, despised people. That, that is true. But that's not why Jonah did, ran from God. Well, let's look at it. It's probably a little bit slightly different. Turn, if you would, to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Hold your finger there still in Corinthians so we can get right back to that. But Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. And we read this. And he prayed, this is Jonah, prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Okay, so he's saying, this is why I left. 
This is why I tried to run from you, God. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. Jonah's having a pity party. He, you see, he knows the character of God. He fled. He ran away because you know what? He knew. He had great faith. He knew if he went to Nineveh, they would repent. What incredible faith that is. Imagine that. Preaching in front of a ginormous city. And knowing that if you go to do that, that city is going to repent. Powerful. Read that. Read the repentance of Nineveh. And you'll see God's incredible power and mercy. Jonah knew God. He was a, the right, he was a prophet of God. He knew God's character. He had everything right up here, perfect, lined up. He was lacking one small thing. Not really small, is it? He was lacking love. He didn't love. And God's response to Jonah is so condemning. As it should be for us. Because that is us. We are Jonah if we do not love. We are Jonah if we have our doctrine just perfect and right, but yet we do not love others. We do not love God. Jonah fled, but it didn't work. God got him there, and the people in Nineveh repented. Yeah, so all these things are good. We can speak, we can have right doctrine, all these things are good, but if they don't come from a love relationship with our Savior, if they don't just flow out of us to bless people, then all of that is for nothing. Paul says, I am nothing. Agape love is to be lived walking in the Spirit, following. Jesus summed up uh, the entirety of the law. Entirety. Remember, they were trying to trap him, and he actually turned the traps on him every single time. Uh, he said, agape God, love God, and agape man. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Agape. The whole commandments, all of them, can be tied together in agape love. Love God, love your neighbor. You shall agape the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great and first commandment. And Jesus said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Simple, right? Simple. Love God. Love people. And yet it is so incredibly difficult. 
so incredibly difficult. Agape loving people. It's so difficult to do outside of our comfort zone. I uh, was really convicted this week. I was really internalizing and going through my mind that God, when you're meditating on God's word and you're in scripture, you, you just, your whole day is altered. You know, it's changed towards that direction. And a random thought came to my mind. I was thinking about my agape love to people. Man, when I'm impatient towards people, that's not agape love. When I'm impatient, when I'm driving behind someone that's not doing the speed limit, we're not using the cruise control, and so their speed goes back and forth and back and forth. Guess what Tom is doing? He's giving that, uh, it was probably less, it's not even phileo love at this point. Impatience. Ask my wife and kids. That's not love on my part. That's not agapeing my neighbor when I act that way. So how do we do it? How do we love? How do we walk? Walking in the spirit. Let's keep going and then we'll look at that. Let's head back. If you're already there, good for you. I'll, I'll get there right now. Verse 3. Chapter 13, verse 3. Back at it. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned that I have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. Paul continues in this hyperbole to make his points. If you give away all, everything you have. This sounds a lot like a story. Remember that rich young ruler that came to Jesus in, in Matthew? Remember the rich young ruler came up to him, and I'll paraphrase it, so turning to it, he goes, Jesus, Master, Rabbi, guess what? I'm, I'm doing it. I'm following. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him all these things. He says, okay, I got that. <laughs> all right. And then Jesus, oh, there's one more thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Oops. Wow, that's a... But what was, what was the problem with that rich young ruler? Idolatry. He didn't want to give up his possessions. He treasured possessions. He loved those things more than he loved the Lord. Money, wealth, these things can pull us away. Paul says, even if you give it all away, everything, so you have no idols, you're not trusting in other things more than you're trusting in God, you're just going to give that all away to the poor, to your charity, and you deliver up your bodies to be burned. I think this best can be understood, uh, you know, in the context of the history of that time when Paul's writing this. He's writing Corinthians, most likely in 55 BC. And this is during the reign of Emperor Nero. He was on the throne, and we know the history, the story of Nero. He's uh, psychotic, and he was brutal, especially towards Christians. Burning at the stake hadn't actually become a, a big deal yet. It's just beginning. But Paul's talking, even if you 
sacrifice yourself and go to that stake, but you don't have love, you gain nothing. Christian persecution was sporadic in the empire at that time, but it hadn't been as extreme as it gets later on. That would become pretty commonplace in Rome, the burning of Christians. All you had to do, you know, to avoid uh, being burnt at the stake was just renounce Jesus Christ and confess Caesar to be God. Then you were good. You can go on your way again. Polycarp, he was an early church father. He died in 155 AD. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. Polycarp knew the Apostle John. Polycarp uh, was one of these that was burned at the stake. He said this, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? Polycarp was burned alive for making this public statement. He was burned alive at the stake. He made the ultimate Sacrifice, incredible bravery. And Paul says, yet, if we don't have agape, I gain nothing. Even that incredible bravery, faith, is nothing if we don't have agape. <laughs> what if we do these things, you might ask? Well, Tom, what if I do all these things, but it's in... Of filial love or storge love. I'm really close. I'm getting closer. No, it's still nothing. You still gain nothing. We're just a horrible noise. We are nothing, Paul says, and we gain. This goes totally against the the today's world philosophy, right? Where everyone's given a trophy. <laughs> Everyone said, told that, hey, you, your self-esteem, you, you go, you're the number one, you're the best. And uh, this totally goes against that, doesn't it? It's hilarious because Paul's saying, I am nothing. He's saying, personally, he's not saying you are nothing. He's saying, I am nothing. No, there's no close. There's no participation trophy here. Paul's including himself. He says, I am a horrible noise. I am nothing, and I gain nothing if I don't love in agape love. Paul's including himself in this struggle. We can identify with Paul. Even churches with the best leadership, the best doctrine, can fall into this trap. We look at the church of Ephesus. Paul was actually writing from Ephesus at the time to the Corinthian church. Ephesus was begun by Priscilla and Aquila. Paul ministered there himself on his third missionary journey for uh, three years. And... um, Then when he left, Timothy came and served for a year and a half. Apollos, Apollos preached there and served there in leadership. 
And the Apostle Paul, John, the Apostle John, after his uh, Patmos uh, banishment was done, he ministered and pastored there in Ephesus and actually died there. Um, John wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John from Ephesus. Ephesus had an amazing history in church leadership. They had the right doctrine taught to them. They had eloquent, gifted leaders leading them. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, these are the words of John the Apostle, as he's on the island of Patmos and he's receiving this revelation from the Lord. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and hearing up for my namesake. Sorry, bearing up for my namesake. And if glasses are fogging up here every now and then. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Paul's saying here, this great church at Ephesus with all the gifted leaders and people that have spoken there, that they had lost, they had left their first love. They had left their first love. Let me ask you a couple tough questions. God working on my heart. Let me ask you a couple questions. If God wrote you a, a letter right now, what would he say about you? What would he write? Tom. Dear Tom, what would God say to you right now? And the next question. If God was writing a letter to our church, what would he say about Chuila Evangelical Free Church? How do we do this? How do we love with agape love? How do we not fall into this trap of being right but not loving? First of all, this love is supernatural. We've talked about it. It's impossible to love this kind of love if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have never repented of your sin and confessed Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you can't love this way. Going to church does not make you a Christian. More intellectual knowledge won't make you a Christian. Years of decades of service will not make you a Christian. 
Agape love is not possible without the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. So how do we, agape, how do we do this? It's one of those things. So simple and yet so hard. John 15, 4 through 9 puts it this way. Jesus is talking to, he's preaching, he's talking, and then we're going to read John 15, 4 through 9. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, agape me, so I agape you. Abide in agape, my agape. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He gives us the ingredients, the list right here. We are to abide in the Lord, abide in Jesus. He is the vine, we are the branches. Draw on his strength, his power, our love relationship with him that flows out to the world. But we have to obey. We have to walk in his commandments. We have to walk in his obedience. And then God will work through us in our life to this world. Walking in obedience through our love relationship with Jesus. It all starts with a personal love relationship. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just thank you because we didn't know even know what love was until you loved us. We didn't even know what real love was until you gave yourself for us. You sacrificed yourself. You took on our penalty, our sin that we deserved, what we earned. You took it upon yourself and then gave us new life. Lord, you gave so much to us. And because of that sacrifice, because of that love, we know what love is. But Lord, we confess to you how hard it is to love others. Lord, I ask that you would help us to abide in you, to walk in obedience to you, with you, Lord, that we could love others in this world that so desperately needs to see what real love is. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.